podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Boss Man. Good to have you. Hey. All right. So today we are going to do an episode I've been scared to do, but I've kind of want to. Is this for a promotional or a comedic value? What do you mean? It's for comedic scared? value, okay. ideally. <laughs> I was uh, flipping through the Dynamite Circle forum the other day, our private forum, you know, getting super engaged because we're hosting an event in Mexico city in October. And so just, you know, reading around what everybody's up to. And I saw this really cool post from member John Ainsworth and he sort of clipped out a piece of a recent podcast episode and asked a question about it. So I'm going to roll the clip and then ask a question. And then I want to spend a whole episode answering it. Here we go. Are you going to make it? What do you think? <laughs> We're kind of there with our new startup too. Like the exact financial description we could say. Mm-hmm. And I find myself some days waking up saying, are we going to make it? And so what John wrote about this clip, Ian, is he said, quote, maybe behind Dan's lighthearted comment, there's pain, angst, and suffering. Somewhat astute. And yet, at least on the podcast, he manages to ask that question in public in a lighthearted manner. I found that quite inspiring. So first off, just big shout out to John for starting this conversation. You can find out a little bit more about him over at Dynamite Jobs. Actually, he has a really cool service up at dynamitejobs.com slash company slash data-driven marketing. We're going to be talking a lot more about that services directory in the coming months here. Appreciate uh, John for the prompt. And when I read that, I thought, oh, there is something there. There was something behind that comment, but something I haven't shared publicly yet. So on today's episode, Ian, we're going to share exactly what we're talking about when we say, are we going to make it? And then we're going to share five business principles that we're employing to hopefully make it, but we actually don't know if it's going to work. So that's part of the, uh, the gonzo quality of the podcast. I'm very excited to see how this podcast turns out and also the longer term, are we going to make it? Because I mean, you got short term and you got long term, are we going to make it? It's a lot of anxiety and <laughs> suffering right here. <laughs> In order to share with you guys what we're talking about when we say we're going to make it, I got to zoom you back to over 12 months ago, just at the beginning of the pandemic. It was a surreal time and it was a time of change for me and Ian. We found ourselves on his beautiful catio, which is, it's not quite a patio. It's a, it's a catio. It's designed, it's designed for cats. Is it really? Cats and humans. And so we're on the catio. It's March. It's beautiful weather in Austin, Texas. There's these beautiful oak trees outside. Uh, we're overlooking the lawn and we're importantly drinking Incredible margaritas, courtesy of Dirty Dick's Mix. That's right. We discovered Dirty Dick's down the street. Yep. First time liquor stores open, you yep. know, still through the pandemic, of course. During the pandemic, you just running straight for the liquor <laughs> store. Like, we have to get... <laughs> we had a basically a permanent margarita station at my house. 
we considered buying one of these like industrial machines, you know, the ones that are in the restaurants. What would that look like? What would that cost? That would look like making it. That would basically be success in life is having a, a frozen margarita baker on your patio. <laughs> and, the, you know, this pandemic, the absurdity of it, the challenge of not having any events all of a sudden really came at a good time for us because we were due for a reset. You know, we were asking like the fundamental question, what do we want to do with our lives? Like our business had been pretty similar there for like three or four years. We were just trolling along. And I think we were both feeling like, hey, like let's do something big here or get out of it. Let's like do something. Also, our business got chopped. Like a lot of people in the pandemic, not so much people selling products online. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're an Amazon seller or you're doing e-commerce, your business probably 10x. But in our case, it got chopped because we throw events. So, you know, you're kind of stuck in my backyard and we're sitting around and we're trying to figure out like, hey, what are we going to do? We had a lot of reckoning. We had a lot of long conversations too, um, kind of trying to piece together what happened after we sold our last business, what have we been doing for the last couple of years, where we're headed. Felt like a blessing in disguise. You know, we we're forced into this situation where you were uh, locked down at my compound. Just me, you, and Dirty Dick. And right. I'll tell you what, you can get to the bottom of some stuff. And one of the things we really had to get to the bottom of is like, how are these two guys that have egos, that have dreams, that have requirements, like what can we do that we're both equally excited about? What can we build that is going to engage us for the next five years? That onstage test we talk about on the pod. And we came up with something in a mix of sugar and alcohol and enthusiasm, we decided that what we wanted to do was build an eight-figure business that we can be proud of that shelves financial questions for a lifetime. That famous freedom line that Jason Cohen wrote about on his wonderful blog, A Smart Bear, we thought, wouldn't that be an awesome challenge? Can we build a business that shelves financial questions for a lifetime? You know, We have limited time. We're not getting any younger. We have a lot of skills. We have a lot of relationships. Are we just going to stay comfortable, chill out, drink margaritas on the patio indefinitely, and wait for events to come back? Or are we going to engage all of our facilities, challenge ourselves, do something a little bit scary, and try and reach for a stretch goal? And I think we both mutually decided like that's what we both want. We want to be challenged. We want to learn. And we want to go for a bigger win. And so, John... Uh, directly to you, when I said on the podcast, are we going to make it? I wasn't really s reflecting on this idea of like, can we pay the bills next month? I I'm pretty sure that in the first part of our career, we figured out ways to make a living, to preserve our time and location freedom. That's a nut we've cracked. So I think what Ian and I were looking for was a bigger challenge. And so when I said, are we going to make it? What I mean is, can we build a business that truly delivers on that dream? of shelving financial questions for a lifetime. And for the sake of the podcast, we'll just say, you know, can Ian and I build an eight-figure business? By the way, one of the awesome reasons to have a business partner is that you get to have these kinds of conversations. I mean, this whole podcast was started from a very similar conversation that we had back when we had shitty jobs. And we basically were equally audacious. And we said things like, I want to be able to live and work anywhere. I hope one of the themes of this podcast is about confidence, about like going after your dreams or whatever. But when we sat on that picnic table back in San Diego in 2007, the idea that we would be able to have this podcast right now and talk like we're talking is more ridiculous 
than our current dream of building an eight-figure business. There was a lot of confidence in Panache for us to say, we're going to go from shitty jobs and credit card debt to relative wealth, complete time, and location freedom. So it gives me the confidence to have a new ridiculous dream and say, hey, well, what if we could shelve financial questions for a lifetime? What if we could do it live on this podcast over the next few years? That's the goal. Yeah, it's almost like moving the starting blocks, you know? It's like some people, they start off in life like with a privileged starting position, which is great. Then that way you're like further down the line, assuming... Yeah, don't squander your privilege. It's wonderful if you have it, yeah. For us, it was like the starting block was like you said, shitty job and credit card debt. Now we've kind of moved that line. And so now we're a little bit further down the line. And so for me, Dan, it actually feels like we're at a new starting point now. We've identified this like new goal and we do have this new advantage, which is like we have a little bit of money. We have a team. We have a lot of experience now. And so that kind of brings us to this first point. Hold up a second. I want to introduce the points because I was just going to say like this idea of it's not enough just to have the conversations, to have the dream lines, to have ideas. But for us, it's important to also identify like key strategies. And for us, they come in fives <laughs> for podcast purposes. So today, we will outline five key strategies that we adopted as a response to copying to this big, audacious goal. And so we're going to lay them out for you here today. Why don't you drop the first one, boss man? Confidence. I would say traditionally, you have more confidence than myself. Well, I don't know about that. I think I have a lot of fake it till you make it. I think I have the ability to meet my expectations and goals. And part of that is just believing that you can do it from the get-go. I mean, look, none of this stuff is like rocket science, right? Like a lot of the roads have been paved here. I feel like that's a lot of what we do at this podcast too, is show people that this road, although not so traveled, a couple of people have gone down it and here's how you might go about it if you want to do this yourself. So for me, over the last year especially, I haven't met with too many people because we've been pretty isolated, but the people that I have met with have definitely been like further along down the path that I want to go down, which is owning an eight-figure company. And part of it is just meeting more of these people, understanding what they went through, understanding their shortcomings, understanding what their advantages are, and then being able to say to myself, hey, I can do that. Hey, these are the sacrifices that I'm going to make. Hey, this is the kind of input that's required to get there. And these are all confidence-building exercises for me, things that make me feel like I can accomplish what they've done or what I want to do. So one of the things, Dan, and this is kind of a weird thing to say, tied to confidence, is like part of what I've needed over the last couple of years is just have my ass in chair for like six to eight hours a day, basically. It's kind of weird because before I'd kind of like sit at my computer as needed almost, and the thing that I'm doing lately is like I'm just sitting down for like hours at a time and it's interesting to watch the work like come to me. And this is loosely related to confidence, but it's like one of these things is like a habit. I can interpret that like you were confident about why you're doing it. Like that was what our founding conversation was about, which is like why are we going to go back to work for 5 years? What is the reason that we're confident in that is motivating the whole thing, the principle? Does that make sense? It does. There's a lot of elements to this confidence conversation, but for me, it's always the biggest one is like seeing other people achieve it with less 
or with disadvantages or just with brute force. Yes. And just knowing that you can make it. I mean, it's just as simple as like when you're a kid and your friend like jumps the gap on his bike and you're like, well, I guess that's possible. I should go for it. The takeaway for the audience is identify precedent cases. Ian and I want to build an eight-figure business. So we start hanging around people that are doing that stuff and you watch it firsthand. It helps you earn confidence on how you can participate in that goal as well. One other thing, while we're talking about emotions and anxiety, I am confident, thanks to some of my closest friends and their testimony, that entrepreneurs should consider going to therapy. I'm confident to keep bringing this up on the show. Find a talk therapist, someone who's wise, a big person, that you can talk to about your emotions. So many of the things we do in business are motivated by emotions. Confidence is one way of saying the free flow of your energy without getting caught up by weird hangups you might have. We see this as community leaders all the time, Ian. A lot of the conflicts that present themselves as business conflicts in our community, they're not at all. They are personal hangups that could be addressed in a therapeutic process. It's like the old Abraham Lincoln quote, if you have a an hour to cut down a tree, spend 45 minutes sharpening the blade. Yeah, it's true. I think that that, for me, is what that therapeutic process is. We're talking about confidence. We're talking about being able to search yourself as a leader. That means having fluency with your emotions and being able to work with them in ways that are productive and positive. So I'm just going to be that guy that's confidently saying, go to therapy, everybody. Just go out there and try it out. I think you might be blown away at the return on investment you get from that one hour a week. Well, honestly, Dan, there's like a lot of unhealthy reasons why you'd want to grow an eight-figure business, right? So 100%. I mean, positive or negative, like there's a lot of reasons why people try and accomplish this stuff. And I think one of the things that we've come to is like some alignment on why us as individuals want to accomplish this and why we want to accomplish it together. Honestly, Dan uh, and podcast listeners, like this is a lot of what we were lacking in the past for the last couple of years since we sold our last business was just alignment in terms yeah. of like what our visions were. So, you know, I think we both have a lot more confidence now. I think we both have a lot more clarity. And I think I'm grateful that we kind of got stranded with dirty dicks over the last uh, year. <laughs> we're able to figure these types of things out. And I'll say this too there is this thing, you know, in John's original quote where you know, we made a choice to build something, to grow, and to learn. That is a situation that we feel confident in and comfortable. When you're just trying to maintain something, when you're the manager, that can produce anxiety. You're just trying to hang on. You lose sleep every time a competitor puts up a website. If you have anxiety every time a competitor puts a website, you're never going to sleep. So I think for both of us, we feel confident about being a little dumber, being a little bit more open-minded, pursuing a, a goal that we're passionate about. Monday, Monday, Monday. This Monday morning, ignite your business growth with an absurdly high-quality hire from Dynamite Jobs. A hire so explosive to your bottom line, you're bound to be bogged down in cash money. To get started, it's just a zero to 30-minute phone call rocket-fueled by the legendary Ian Close and Showin. Watch him risk his reputation with career-killing, high-pressure sales tactics. Experience live the, let me take that to my finance guy move, the hard sell. And I think I need a chief operating officer. 
What would change in your business if we could get that done for you today? Classic reversal. Hiring used to be a pain in the ass, but with Dynamite Jobs recruiting, it's scintillating, titillating, profitillating. This Monday, 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 go to dynamitejobs.com and click on the Hire With Us link. All right, so first concept we're using is confidence. The second one is we are stopping confusing scrappy with crappy. Hat tip to Seth Godin on this one. I'm the number one uh, person to uh, critique on this one where for so long as a bootstrapper, I've said, you know, we're just being scrappy (laughs) as an excuse for doing things in crappy ways. And, you know, one of the things is as I've elevated my personal standard, Ian, because our goal is so clear, what we're trying to do requires so much energy. Now I've started to put higher standards on our suppliers, on our team, on our partners. And when I see people acting scrappy, but it's actually just crap, I'm starting to lose patience for it. And uh, I realized that, hey, for many years, I would do things that were crappy with the excuse that I was a bootstrapper or crappy, couldn't afford it. As I've increased my standards, worked with more professionals who are great at what they do, I've realized it's been a missed opportunity over the years, not elevating those standards sooner. Well, I think, Dan, you're going to see us doing a lot less, actually, which is kind of related to scrappy versus crappy. It's like, you know, when you're trying to scrounge up a living, when you're trying to like make things work, it's easy to be like really scrappy. It's like, don't go out to dinner here. It's like, sell this car for this much. It's like, hire this person for that much, but not too much. And I think there's a lot of value to being resourceful, especially early on in a business. But there comes a certain time where it's like, hey, either this ship is going to float or it isn't. Like, No amount of patches is going to make this thing work. I've actually got to have some kind of sustainability to what I'm doing here. I see this actually all the time in the recruiting process that we're executing now. Basically, um, people come to us and for a flat rate, we will go find them a person that will come into their organization. We do this from customer service all the way up to uh, CEO level. It's interesting to watch the companies come through. A lot of them are trying to be scrappy, which actually does turn into crappy, and a lot of them aren't. So, you know, it's it's really cool for me to see a company come in and they're like, "Well, we're trying to hire this like marketing manager." And I'm like, "Well, what's your budget?" And some companies will come in and say like, "Oh, it's like $1500 only in Southeast Asia." I've seen this person before. Like my friends hired like three of these people. I know that they exist at this price. And I'm like, you know what? Good luck. There was a time and a place where like I was trying to do that same business. And uh, (laughs) you might find them, but it might take six months. So there's that person. And I think like, good luck to you. Then there's the other person that comes in and they're like, well, you know, the range of salary is like kind of infinite. I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, for the right person, like I would pay basically whatever because we have all this margin. There's all this opportunity, you know. And that's somebody that's really fun to work with because they see opportunity. They have confidence. They're not necessarily trying to be scrappy. They're trying to be inventive, you know? And this comes back to confidence. Like, look, if you're out there and you look at like world-class companies, they've got world-class stuff and you're an entrepreneur trying to compete, it's on you to get there. You know, it's only you that's going to assert it. It's not somebody else, right? Yeah. You're going to have to assert it that you're going to operate at that level and the people around you are going to, you know, either be up to that standard or they're not. 
And that's on you. And that's why we started out with confidence. And I think the theme of the episode is confidence, confidence in your goal. That doesn't mean necessarily arrogance. It just means that you've laid out your goal. You're not going to let crappy work or crappy suppliers or crappy clients get in your way. All right, number three principle is considering the concept and the trade-offs of making a living versus making a killing. I'll toss out this idea of like making a living. You know, one of the common goals in a location independent niche is $10,000 a month of income generated relatively passively. Relatively passively meaning, you know, you don't have to work eight hours every single day in order to generate that income. Here's one thing, you know, I've submit having accomplished that goal is that it's just as hard to do that as it is to build something that exposes you to larger opportunities. You know, when we built our first company that was in a very narrow niche, it would have been just as hard to build a company that was in a bit of a bigger niche. I hate to break it to everybody who's like, I just don't want to manage employees, but like managing 25 employees is just as hard or easy as managing five. It's just as hard or easy as managing 50. That's the truth, I believe. Well, there is good news for those people, which is in the in the future, you're probably just going to be managing services. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least 50% of your staff is going to be a service. So there is some silver lining there. But I agree with you, Dan. There's a lot of ways to make a living, right? And a lot of ways that we've done that in the past. Yes. But we haven't tried to make a killing before. And part of that was niche selection, like you said. Part of that was just like not having a big enough vision, you know, in our first business product business, we were like having to bolt on products basically because like our industry wasn't big enough. And so we were trying to figure out like ways to maximize our income and our revenue and all this stuff. But it was like kind of piece by piece. And I think it's partly because we just didn't pick a big enough pond to play in. We made it to number one in that pond too. And by the way, like being king of the idiots feels like a really good thing. Like, oh yeah, it's awesome to be able to pound number your chest one and be producer like, <laughs> of valet parking podium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, you can kind of live there forever and feel good about yourself, and we did for a long time. And yep. it's not to say that that wasn't an accomplishment, but if I described our competition to you, you guys probably wouldn't think it was that big of an accomplishment. So now. Who's our competition? Well, I drive down to uh, Austin here. And I break my neck looking out my window, and I can still <laughs> barely read the, the word indeed above me. I get nervous when you even say indeed's our competition, which is, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I think it's a good thing, honestly, because it's like it's picking a fight with those guys. Like, wow, yeah. that's ambitious, you know? And maybe we will fail. But if we only, if we make it to like the third floor, and their 25-story building, that's going to be better than where we were before, yeah. honestly. So the third point then is, is pick a fight that has potential asymmetric returns because growing any business is really hard. Might as well build one that has asymmetric potential. I'll just say this too about like making a killing versus a living. This just comes down to like personal preference too. I, I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with making a really good living or whatever is comfortable to you, traveling around, being with your family, whatever you want to do. It just happens that Dan and I feel like we've figured this out, like we've kind of cracked the code and there's something more to do. Can I say something concrete about cracking the code? Because we have built this position of privilege where we can say things that maybe, I don't know, 
rich kids can say like, I'm going to build a startup that changes the world or whatever. Like I didn't, wasn't in that position. I was like trying to like get out of my shitty job. And if you're in that position, I will just say this. If you're at a starting point where you don't know a lot of entrepreneurs and you're thinking, my gosh, it's not simple for me just to make, you know, six figures it isn't. location independently. That's a hard problem to solve. It's one that might take you a decade. It's one that might take you half a decade. Many, many years will be spent. And during those years, you won't be able to live with the same level of luxury as those around you. You won't be able to drive the nice cars. You won't be able to live in the nice houses. Do you know why? Your time and your money will be spent building the asset of that ability, of that career. Someday you'll be able to show up to a podcast like this and say, yeah, it is easy for me to generate six figures. That comes from a decade's worth of work and investment. That's where that attitude comes from. Like most people don't invest their time and their money that way. And instead, all their time for their entire life gets gobbled up by a career, by somebody else telling them what to do. And sometimes that's a great thing, but a lot of times it's not because those weren't the things that they would have chosen for themselves. So anyway, if you're young, you're listening to this, that's the challenge that that's in front of you. It's totally eminently doable. Like Ian said, it's not rocket science. There are a lot harder things in life than figuring out that thing, but it does take time and it does take money. So the number four principle we are recognizing in this audacious journey is the importance to having fun. Part of, you know, the initial comment that John made, Ian, was, you know, is there some like anxiety behind it? And the truth is, is that in the past, yeah, there has been. And it was really important to me when I arrived back in America to meet with you about what our future was going to look like, that we found ways to have fun. And one thing I was really adamant about was that if we're going to do this, we need to harvest the best energy from Dan and Ian. It's like almost athletic in that sense that like we need to be in front of the computer and when we're in front of the computer, we need to be good. When we're on the phone, we need to be good. Like, especially because we're running our team remote. We need to be compelling. We need to have vision. We need to have energy. Like this stuff just doesn't happen because you're clever. You have to work. And for me, in order to work, you have to have fun. And it's an incredible competitive advantage because you're getting the best out of yourself, the best out of your business partners, and you're getting the best out of your team because they're having fun. They want to join. They think it's cool what you're doing. It's crazy, but like this attitude is infectious. Maybe the team doesn't share my perspective on this, Ian, but this wasn't always true. I love going to our team calls. On Friday mornings, I can't wait. I look forward to hearing what everybody's been up to. And that wasn't always true in our business. I really saw it as work to like listen to the stories everybody was telling about what they were doing. Getting back to a point that you made earlier on in the show, Dan, is um, like the opposite of fun is like anxiety, at least for me. A lot of the last couple of years, we spent like basically treading water on some of these different products um, that we have. And it was like, you're scared when like a competitor puts up a site, you know, that looks like a similar product to you. You're scared that like your income is staying the same and like you don't have a way to like have it go up. Like that kind of stuff for me is like no fun. I think it's much more fun having like a fat payroll and like trying to figure out how you're going to make it work every month <laughs> because like the people on the payroll are like 
hopefully going to create something that has like an asymmetric result. So like that's kind of like a fun anxiety for me. The other anxiety is like I'm not in control of the trajectory of this organization or my ideas. And so I'm just going to like sit here and whatever happens to me happens. And I think honestly, a lot of people feel like that even in a career, right? And it's like no different than if you own a company and you're just treading water and like things are happening to you. So for me, Dan, like a big reason why we're going for this eight-figure opportunity is because it's a trajectory and because it's fun. It's really fun. It's something we can be proud of too. And that is a part of confidence. It's part of the theme of this episode is like, I think I would be proud of us even if we failed because it's cool to try. And we're going to fail at a lot of things if we're going to get there. All right. So our fifth principle that we're going to embody on this journey is to reconsider the relationship between assets and cash. You know, one of the things that uh, we've traditionally been very good at is running profitable organizations while others would just squander their profits. We were always really good, especially due to your leadership. You're like, uh, you know, like the grandparents who grew up during the depression and like somehow it's just this big write off like, oh, granny grew up in the depression. Like she can't spend money on anything. Like you grew up entrepreneurially in like the crash of 2008, 2009. And so you had these incredible principles coming from that where we were making money while everybody else was like, you know, up in flames. And we really carried that with us through our career. But you just mentioned a different point. like. You were talking about having a big fat payroll. It's like, how much money did you guys make last month? Well, we made a lot, but we spent it all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're saying that, I'm thinking like, well, yeah, that's true. Like we were like very fiscally responsible. Like we did stack cash and like all that stuff. And then like the big joke about that is like, our cash is worth nothing now. And like, we didn't figure out how to use leverage. <laughs> so it's like, oh man, this sucks. And it kind of does actually. It's like, so we're having to figure yeah. out essentially like, okay, if this cash really isn't worth much and that's kind of like a, a, a macro situation that we're going through now, like, you know, how can we actually make it work for us? And our solution right now is like plow it back into the business and actually build an asset because the asset values are going through the roof. Through the roof, yeah. The cash is not. Well, and the other like sort of macro situation, whatever that's happening, Ian, is that these assets are so much more legible and tradable than they were five years ago, even. Yeah. Certainly 10 years ago. So this idea that your best investment is yourself, essentially, is our approach to early retirement. You know, when you compare, say, entrepreneurship, the lifestyle entrepreneurship movement with the fire movement, for example, our thesis has always been you know, we can generate cash on cash returns the same way, like much more efficiently than the stock market. And I think we're really drinking the Kool-Aid on that one with this particular asset, putting our cash back into it to create something that's incredibly valuable to the market. And it's cool. Like we do these calcs like that we've been a lot harder to do five years ago, which is basically like, Hey, what's the 30 day sale price on this? You know, if we're going to go put dynamite jobs on the market, what can we pull from it? And it's it's a lot easier to do that calculation nowadays because it's a lot clearer who would value it and who would buy it and what that price would be. And so that makes me confident when we do you know defer income in order to build an asset. And that's really the you know that deference of income is what it's about for uh, a lot of us small business entrepreneurs. Like some of this stuff, it just can't be learned like through this podcast or 
through anybody that you trust, any mentors, anything like that. You have to go through these cycles and you have to see it yourself. Maybe like smarter people can just take somebody's word for it. But for me, like I have to actually go through these cycles. And you kind of understand it the older you get. You're like, oh, yeah, I've seen this happen like five times now. I know what's going to happen, you know. And uh, it's just really hard to grok that kind of stuff and trust that it's going to work out. Yeah, because it might not. But here's the basic thesis of the episode. If you go for it confidently, if you're scrappy instead of crappy... If you focus on making a killing, not just making a living, if you prioritize fun and you think deeply about the relationships between assets and cash in your life, there's a strong likelihood that where you end up after a few years of effort will be a lot better than where you started. And that's basically all we can say about it. We've made significant progress. We're on a seven-figure run rate in 2021, and we're on the path towards our goal. And that feels really good. Point six that we've left out here. And this is uh, just to wrap up the show, but like you swore all this stuff together in the blender, make sure you put in a little dirty dicks, whatever your dirty dicks is. Uh, (laughs) doesn't have to necessarily be margarita mix, but figure out what your, your concoction is. Yeah. And I think it's really important when you want to do something big I don't know. People say first principles a lot nowadays. I don't really know what first principles are, but it's like to go to the actual core of the issue, which is why are you doing this? What do you want to do? And how are you going to get that done? And this whole conversation started with me and Ian doing that, which is looking at each other and saying, Hey, like this isn't really working. What can we do that would work? Something like, which is very technical involves many people's lives. You know, right now our team is over 10 people dedicating a large portion of their days to this dream, this goal. It all started with looking at our core motivations as leaders. Like, hey, we can't lead other people if we're not really sure about the real reasons we want to do things and what specifically we're going to get excited about. And so that's what I would encourage you to do is like really start at the core of what you want to do with your life and build up from there. All right, so big shout out to John for, uh, there was indeed quite a bit behind a passing comment on the podcast. I love that forensic approach to TMBA listening. One final thing, uh, some very sad news. Our uh, mutual friend, Tommy Schultz recently passed away uh, from a terrible fast moving disease. We're going to link up to to news about uh, Tommy's death and how you can connect with his family uh, and loved ones uh, in this post. I thought it would be cool for us to just share some memories of Tommy. Tommy um, was uh, one of the people that introduced us to Bali. Um, He was living in Bali when we had the house in Bali and couldn't think of like a better guy, man. He uh, he always had time to show us around. He introduced us to new places, to people. Um, had the privilege of meeting up with Tommy in several different continents. The last time I saw Tommy was at DCBKK two years ago. He attended the party and actually spent like 45 minutes talking to him. And I feel really fortunate. Yeah, that's the kind of guy Tommy was. It's like uh, there's like 400 people at a party and like, he carved out 45 minutes because that's how cool Tommy was. You yeah, know? <laughs> he really was. Gosh, what a talented photographer too. 
he traveled the world and he got to do what he loved. I remember, Dan, we sat down with Tommy and we we're like, okay, you're going to be like an internet uh, business guy now. Like, here's the plan, you know? <laughs> and uh, Tommy was like very interested in that because he, he was trying to figure out a way at the time to like, you know, continue to do underwater photography and photography all around the world. Ultimately, like uh, Tommy just ended up being a really talented photographer. He figured out a way to make it work for him. He figured out how to get into world-renowned publications. Tommy was recently on TV, which is pretty cool. That's on his website. And um, most importantly, he was just an amazing guy. Really thoughtful, really passionate, and just a really kind and considerate guy, man. And I'm going to miss him. Made a fantastic Thai curry. Uh, incredible barrel surfer, spoke the local language fluently with his surfer f- local friends, um, was an excellent mentor to up-and-coming photographers, sat at the intersection of Indonesian and Western culture, and was just an awesome ambassador for the West to the East and, and, and vice versa. Tommy really understood that like nothing left his desk unless it was a 10 out of 10. Uh, that always really stuck with me is how utterly professional he was. And you can see that on his television appearance. Everything that gets the Tommy Schultz brand was a 10 out of 10. Um, it's remarkable given how much um, time he reserved to live a full life, which is the final thing I'll say about him. You know, Tommy is like a purveyor of life-changing travel experiences for people, you know, myself, for you. He had the time and the ability to connect with people and he would take a day off and and show countless of our friends really like these amazing experiences. And everybody has like a Tommy Schultz took me to do this story. You Mm -hmm. know, Tommy Schultz took, I met Tommy and he took me to do this. And that was Tommy. Like you have all these amazing memories with him because nothing was normal when Tommy was around. We were going to go do something really, really cool. And so, uh, yeah, he will be missed. Condolences to his family. And uh, yeah, lots of love for Tommy Schultz in this community, that's for sure. And if you never met Tommy, um, drop by his website, check him out, uh, tommyschultz.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.